Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? Quentin Tarantino is here, ladies with bloated ego. We are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. And I ride with extended clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 95. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And our double feature this week, uh, Night and Day by Hong Sang-soo, the film from 2008, and a nice pre-code joint by William A. Wellman for our B-movie, uh, Safe in Hell from 1931. I Oh, fuck, man. I accidentally watched the Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Night and Day, man. I fucked up pretty hard. I didn't know. I didn't know this is the direction we were... I, we did Hong last week. What, I, so I just assumed we would do some James Mangold this week. <laughs> Sorry about that. This isn't the first time this has happened either. It is not. <laughs> um, two films about getting out of your hometown and settling into a new location. <laughs> Definitely a very positive <laughs> outlook on that new locations. Um, well, I guess that's what's, you know, kind of, I didn't, I don't think you sold this double feature to me. Like you didn't give me the interlinking tissue beforehand. Yeah. It's about people who have a uh, kind of forced vacations. Absolutely. Yeah. Night and day. This is Hong Sang Su's longest film. It's his first film that takes place outside of South Korea. It's his first film that he shot digitally. And it's it's an anomaly in a lot of ways. Uh, it is a story of a, a young man uh, named Kim Sung-nam, played by Kim Young-ho. And he is a painter who smoked weed for the very first time. One of his friends who smoked him out got ratted out and snitched on him so he is on the run where do you go when you're on the run if you're an artist you go to Paris. so he goes to paris finds this community of other korean artists uh finds a place to crash and lives his life in Paris uh, from one woman to the next uh, over the next couple of months while occasionally calling his wife back home. What, what did you guys make of this film? This was an absolutely wild hong. Like, I mean, it continues a lot of like similar thematic threads for him. But I was just curious what he would do with the duration. I mean, I feel like a lot of Hong movies are have like dudes seriously fucking up. Yeah. But this one is intense. Just him like <laughs> destroying his own life for like what is really no good reason. Like it's like the weed charge, like even from the beginning, like in the like the, the title cards happening, it's like, you know, it's very silly and like that he could at any point return back. And yeah. uh, I don't know, but he's just so obsessed with self-destruction. Malcolm, the first time you smoked weed, did you move to another country and destroy your <laughs> life and the lives of all of your loved ones? Uh, no, no. It, you know, it, the first time it wasn't so bad, but I remember the. I think the <laughs> third time I was at my first high school house party and the cops pulled up on us and I was found on the side of the house smoking weed. And that kind of, that spooked me for a minute. I don't think I smoked <laughs> weed for like a year after that because I was just like, fuck, like I've, I got caught pretty bad yeah. but, but like and i think that's a i know you know nothing happened but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um 
I, I think, you know, that's a lesson, you know, this movie shows and then the, this little story I told shows is that you have to smoke. If you're, if you're 14 or 15, smoke weed right now, because <laughs> the, if, you know, if, doing it for the first time or the first few times, there's going to be probably a bad mishap, like what happened to me or what happened in night and day. And you're going to want to, you know, live your adult life problem free, you know, get yeah, those exactly. childish problems out of the way now. You, you don't want to have your adult anxieties uh, triggered by that smokes weed once feeling like yeah if if you're a uh, grown adult man who works as a painter you are going to flee to france but if you're a little boy you don't have all of those anxieties about the grown world you just freak out for like 20 minutes and then you listen to sublime and you're (laughs) chill and the prison sentences in korea for like a 14 or 15 year old boy probably a little less severe oh yeah if you're listening in south korea (laughs) yeah uh, if you're more in his situation yeah if you're 14 years old and in south korea i highly advise yeah. you to buy illegal drugs and I, use them i don't know what the laws are over there so you know just look just re- let's look at the law book first before you do anything but um yeah i agree essentially it, it is strange though because this was like maybe the only hong film that opens with just like a series of title cards explaining uh almost like a, a george lucas like crawl <laughs> how our hero got to where he's at and you know setting the scene for the drama that's about to unfold and under that we have that movement from i think it's beethoven's seventh symphony and it's like a, a, a piece that you hear in a lot of movies i believe it's in the black cat which we talked about a long time ago uh, and i think i even used a clip of that uh, for the black cat and you say your soul was killed that you have been dead all these years and what of me did we not both die here in marmorous 15 years ago are we any the less victims of the war than those whose bodies were torn asunder are we not both the living dead I, I think the dramatic music contrasted with the low stakes drama is very funny. Just calling attention to really how low stakes and interior the drama is. It's all very I, almost like mid-century art house movies. I think it being set in Europe definitely helps it achieve that. Uh, and there's even a scene where, you know, characters are standing in front of a DVD case that has, you know, Viva Savi and Breathless uh, among a few other classics of the of that uh persuasion and uh I, I saw it described as modernist in a couple of different reviews and i think that is really apt i mean you have scenes where he's just like staring at a painting and making meaning of it and this is a movie about kind of making meaning of your life and the world around you in a way that almost feels outmoded and like some people would say you know navel gazy or whatever but i don't know hong really gets to some very harsh truths about his character in this movie yeah and you know even even that you know you have the harsh truths and we love the harsh truths and we accept them because we're strong but uh um i think it's also just this this you know conceit of kind of like you know this unpleasant man kind of meandering around uh you know messing up relationships it's also a good setup for a lot of humor too and a lot of those situations are you know just as brutal as they can be you know funny Absolutely. This is a very funny movie. <laughs> yeah, I think like the the way the 
protagonist is dressed is like the ultimate bozo fit like the polo and like mom jeans combo (laughs) like the polo that like should be ironed or something and then even still there are like just little details and like textures that i would like focus on that are like kind of one thing that i don't know why this is kind of funny to me but like in multiple scenes where he's like calling his wife um at that like sort of like hostel that he's staying in like you see like a prominent like crack in the leather of the couch (laughs) and it's just such like an unsexy like moment that's just really funny to me i love i love those scenes where he's calling his wife too because you just get his end of the phone call you never see her receiving the phone call and it's just i I don't know it kind of just uh, increases the you know kind of strangeness and patheticness of his situation because like you said jt there's not such a strong reason for him to be here. He could go home and face yeah. whatever the small charge is that, you know, is going to happen. He's probably going to have to face it, you know, eventually. And yeah, just seeing him sit, you know, choosing to just be alone and ask, you know, ask her to masturbate or just say like weird lies to her To It's just like, you're really kind of faced with the kind of patheticness <laughs> of, of that situation even more than, you know, if you had, you know, some cross cutting action going on there. And, you know, you won't have cross cutting in a Hong Sang Soo yeah. movie, and if you haven't seen a Hong Sang Soo movie, I mean, we didn't really give like a primer on his style when we talked about him last week, I don't think. But if you haven't seen a Hong Sang Soo movie, his scenes play out in long take. Uh, generally, you know, a a master shot in from which he will zoom in and out and pan to the left and right. And uh, those zooms and pans are about as much as you're going to get from Hong in terms of camera movement and really anything other than just cutting from one shot to the next. Uh, So it's a very bare bones approach. uh, But I think his compositional uh, skill, you know, more than makes up for uh, what some might call a minimalist approach or whatever. In this, the compositions are so beautiful. I mean, as I said, it's his first digital movie and the sky is just completely blown out because of that throughout this movie. And uh, it's remarked upon early on how, you know, at that time of the year in Paris, you can't tell day from night. Uh, And I, I think that that strangeness of the sky just being totally white uh, compared to, you know, how he shot the sky in his Korean films before that were shot on celluloid or even how the sky looks in the character's paintings of clouds, you know. Uh, it makes it all feel so strange and surreal. And there's one dream sequence towards the end, but there are so many little scenes that feel like they could even be dreams uh, just because of the way Hong pays attention to those small moments of poetry in life, like a cigarette floating down uh, the gutter across the sidewalk until it uh, against the sidewalk until it bumps into a big piece of dog poo. Uh, (laughs) And like that just being artistic inspiration kind of. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he does have a penchant for those small moments and that, that is one that stuck out to me. Of course, maybe just because of my child brain, I saw the dog poop and it getting swept up. But I think, yeah, even the, you know, the character, he he even kind of gives a little smirk at the dog poop. So he lets you know it's okay. But also, you're, you know, talking about the dream sequences and uh, how, how like other scenes could feel like dream sequences. Also, the dream sequences could also just feel like other scenes within yeah. the movie. Yeah. And like, that's what kind of makes them worse in, in a way, because <laughs> it's like this guy's dreams are based 
like in reality, mostly in a one where just cruel things, like he's being cruel to people or cruel things are happening to those around him. And that's, yeah. and that's what he's dreaming about. That's what he, in like the grand scheme of what a dream is supposed to mean, that this is what he truly wants, which is kind <laughs> of a, you know, a little unsettling. <laughs> uh the first uh, scene we see, and it's all split up by uh, days, kind of like a diary, uh, the way the film is presented in terms of its narrative structure. And I know Hong likes to do a lot of narrative games and doubling and stuff like that, but this one is straight ahead. But there's lots of repetitions, whether it be visually or in the narrative, you know, to where this one straight shot narrative repeats itself both in terms of like things that happen and things we see on screen uh, that it calls to mind, you know, his repeating and looping narratives that he's done in the past. Uh, You know, he folds uh, the, the main character that is folds a piece of paper into a little boat and sails it down that little stream that's running against the sidewalk. And we see one of those boats uh, on the table when he's eating lunch later with his his new North Korean friend. And of course, another uh, doubling with that meeting with that North Korean friend is he challenges him to an arm wrestling match. Uh, and in fact, they have two arm wrestling matches after the sh- one of the shortest, if not the very shortest, uh, diary entry, as it were, from you know an hour and a half earlier is just a very short scene of him arm wrestling people in the living room of that hostel just taking them down like a champ well yeah i think that's also another thing about the narrative structure that i really enjoy i like Wilton hong will decide to end a day or like and he'll even imply some in, in some of these scenes that you know other stuff is going to happen in connection with what mm-hmm. we've seen before but it's like hong's like all right we've seen enough from this that you kind of you get it <laughs> like we don't need to you know as as long as this movie is it, it uh i like how it kind of uh cuts off these days at you know just the right time the character mr jang who i believe runs the hostel uh he's been in a few hong movies he he's uh kiju bong he's the old actor from introduction that we talked about last week and Their interactions, him and Kim Young-ho, are interesting because looking forward, you know, this came out in 2008, so looking forward 13 years to introduction, yeah, Mr. Jang, the guy who runs the hostel, is the actor who yells at the main character of that movie, and uh, Kim Young-ho is the father of the character in that movie, the doctor that the film opens on. And so these things kind of looping past and, you know, these characters moving or these actors, you know, moving through different parts of their lives and recurring as different character types within Hong Sang-soo's milieu is just like, I don't know, it's really remarkable and really interesting. Um, But their first interaction, uh, Kim Young-ho and Ki Ju-bong, is outside sharing a cigarette, or, you know, each having a cigarette. And uh, after Ki Ju-bong tells him that He's, you know, very good looking and in older centuries would be a general. Uh, he asks to shake his hand and they shake hands. It's very nice that at the end of the conversation, they ask to shake hands again. And Mr. Jang does a little uh, classic hip hop uh, handshake maneuver. And it's just one of the most like purely light 
pleasurable comedic moments in the film, but it always has stuck with me since the first time I watched it. It's just one of those small comedic moments in Hong Sang-soo that just like crystallizes him as such a unique uh, filmmaker. A lot of humor he mines out of his self-reflexive quality that, I mean, I think... I don't know. Detractors would definitely say is navel gazing, but mm. like he, I don't know, is doing a self critique and also um, having fun with it too. And like is aware. I mean, obviously his struggles with marital fidelity, yeah. <laughs> like, are very much so at play in this. But there's a moment uh, where he is talking to the his new North Korean friend, and he brings up. Uh, Kim Il Sung, and, and just like a, a really like offhanded way, and just pisses the whole party off, and they call him like bourgeois, and I feel like that's definitely like a complaint you could level at Hong, but he's like he's playing around with it, he's like being aware of that, and I mean the more serious angle of that like self reflexivity, I think really comes out in a lot of really interesting and great discussions about art that occur in this, like characters talking about, do you have to be insane to be a great artist? (laughs) And just sort of that struggle with like themselves as like creatives, like the main character for all of his time in Paris, you never like see him like fucking work on anything. (laughs) Like, All he does is judge other people's work (laughs) and like be perceived by other artists. That's all he's there to do. Yeah, I love it when that that small scene where he just sees some guy. He's like looking at some guy's paintings and he's like, here's he's making a bunch of money. He's like, that's what I need to be doing, man. I need to be working on my craft. Like he only thinks about that when everyone's like talking about it. Very funny. Um, Uh, Yeah. And one of the funniest things is when I. like in terms of him being like a, a bourge- member of the bourgeoisie and, you know, someone who maybe doesn't relate to working class issues when he's like, you know, maybe I'll get a job at a restaurant. And he thinks just like because there's a Korean guy that owns a restaurant, he'll get a job there. And he's like, well, if that's not going to happen, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the next scene is just it opens on a French dude, like a contractor painting a wall, kind of just like at work, you know, painting for a living, doing yeah. labor. Uh, and. And then he just like uh, Kim Sung Nam just like walks by, not even looking at him. It's just that's or he doesn't even walk by. Rather, that's where Hong starts with the camera, and then I think mm-hmm. he zooms in to the protagonist. And I think this film, more than any other Hong, starts on other action, and then will pan or zoom to the characters that start the scene. Uh, it's like his establishing shots are often things that have nothing to do with what's about to unfold, but are just kind of a nice way to throw you into it. Like two dogs fighting out front of a cafe before <laughs> getting to see a conversation at the cafe. Oh yeah. And then like the painting thing you mentioned is just like a, you know, a little smart, little fun commentary on, on the character. And you, you know, you're talking about like people critiquing him for like, I don't know, depicting you know the certain like you know bourgeois lifestyle like maybe the artist lifestyle and it's like well he's working with a milieu and like critiquing a very specific type of person you know some a type of person you could probably only know as well as he does by being involved in that scene so to speak i mean it's kind of like critiquing a uh, fucking Douglas Sirk for making movies about like middle class americans (laughs) yeah like that's what he fucking knew that's what that's what's going on here um, I should say before I, we get into the dangerous romances of this film, uh, one of my favorite interactions is the first interaction of this film when he's at the airport 
and just a Frenchman comes up to get a lighter from him oh, that's and just awesome. interrogates him, <laughs> just grills him, and then ends the interaction by telling him to be careful. You here. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> we it's all know so good we all know you know that's the post 9-11 years everyone in the airport <laughs> is just like it's good vibes in there it doesn't matter you know what your race you know except but, <laughs> <laughs> everyone just wants to have a good time at the airport now yeah, you know exactly. no bad memories <laughs> he runs through quite a few girls while he's here <laughs> uh I mean, whether it's you know um you know, one girl or her roommate uh, or another girl from their school. Uh, he, he seems to just kind of be dipping his toes in as many ponds as he possibly can. And speaking of toes, uh, <laughs> maybe the hardest to watch uh, act of male uh aggression in a hong film is when he gets a little toe sucking action while the girl is asleep and wakes her up by you know uh non-consensually sucking on her toes and it's just one of the most i don't i don't even know what to say about this scene it's so hard to watch i mean so funny though so much of it is like funny and just repellent and like him just being like just like from college kid to college <laughs> yeah. kid like him the scene where he like doesn't want to he's like where, where can i buy condoms i'm not i i don't know what the I don't, i've never been here before and it's like can't we just do it without them or he leaves the pharmacy because there were too many women to buy condoms around so he just goes raw and gets the girl pregnant <laughs> That, that is hilarious. Just like, where can I even buy any condoms? <laughs> yeah. like, such a, like a good excuse. I can't find them. <laughs> no, I mean, and like, yeah, to go back to the, the toe sucking dream. I mean, it's, uh, well, dream, I guess, uh, you know, I gave it away. It's proposed as a dream. And it's like, it's so funny because like when you, like when I first see the scene, you know, I was like, this is like pretty, like I, I you know, I could kind of tell where. This movie was heading. I'm, I'm. This guy isn't the greatest, but I wasn't expecting him to go out and do this, you know. And uh, and of course, as the scene goes along, she's like, "Well, now that you're here, you know, do it like a man or what?" And like you're like, "Oh, okay." Like, yeah. wait a second. And, and then, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a dream. He he's just like getting drunk, walking around. He like. <laughs> He does some drunken Tai Chi, which is great because this is also another doubling thing. All these things were set up initially. You know, the toes, the first time he's at the apartment, he's talking to her roommate, trying to get with her first. Uh, and then he just has a little voiceover about how beautiful the sleeping girl is and how b- beautiful her feet are. And But yeah, we see some Tai Chi in the park uh, the first time we go to that park. And then the second time... He's just drunk doing Tai Chi, like freestyling it. And you just have this little French kid imitating him. And like his dad is watching him or something like that. Yeah. And, like the dad probably thinks he's like teaching or something. Like, uh, he's legit. No, yeah. This, I mean, this gag is hilarious. Like I was, I was howling like a, like, you know, fucking Fairly Brothers movie. And it is like, it's, a, it, it feels like kind of like one of those strong things that'd be like in a Fairly Brothers montage. Yeah. Cut away and then like. You know, they find some random Asian guy in the park doing Tai Chi and they're like, oh shit, like this is the real deal. I got to go to this guy. And it's, I mean, rarely do art house movies are that funny. As oh yeah. That it's, yeah. This movie is not 
art house funny. It's actually, I mean, that's like the deal with most Hong. It's, yeah, it's true. actually funny. It's not art house funny. Um, you could levy that at some stuff, like Claire's camera or something like that. But it's like more, more so the fact that it's just like film in jokes kind of that can, that can be a criticism against it. But for the most part, I think in terms of the comedy of embarrassment, Hong's comedy is quite broad. Uh, and then in terms of stuff like that, I, I don't know if I've seen him go much more absurd yeah. than the drunken Tai Chi thing at the park, but it's one of his funniest scenes for sure. His, his stuff is like kind of just funny in a natural sense, but like, yeah, that was just so like, so zany. You yeah. know what I mean? It's <laughs> kind of a goofy <laughs> gag. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, this is, you know, it's a long movie. So maybe, you know, Hong's, you know, punching in a couple more things. Yeah. In there than you know he usually would you know something for the fans and the strain of these relationships he has with these girls really you really feel it over the run oh, time yeah. like even oh, if yeah. he's only there for a couple months it feels like he's there even longer like when he's out with both of the roommates you know and uh it, he has this great line of a uh, voiceover where he says i need to find a way to survive i can't let these women depress me <laughs> which is like total like instagram male soul type thing <laughs> <laughs> That that whole sequence is great because you know as awful as he is, that is it does seem like a pretty awful vacation he's yeah. got himself. I mean, his fucking fault, you know, for uh, fucking around with these college girls. But uh, it is it is just it is just funny and just him being on this trip of like a friendship breaking apart essentially because of him and his actions and just like the yelling Absolutely back and forth. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I said, a, yeah, yeah, because yeah. of him. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that wasn't, I wasn't trying to argue. No, true. Yeah, yeah. I stopped the energy. That was me being to keep, bounce off that, go. No, it's okay. Let's <laughs> just talk about, well, I mean, JT, do you think he stopped the, do you think I stopped the energy? Or no. do you think Malcolm was running out of steam? Or no, no, where no. do you think we're at here? I, my claim was that I stopped the energy by being like, oh, well, I didn't mean that. I should have just, you know, fucking ran with it. What do you think? Um, I think I think you you had a good momentum going there, but I I don't know. I really like how and I mean I think we've talked about this like not as directly, but Hong undercutting the comedy with just how like fucking dark and pathetic and miserable it is. And I think like the last dream sequence is really what brings like the depravity and like misery of it out. Cause you see this guy who's like sabotaging his own life by just like trying to fuck like college girls while like his wife, he's just completely abandoned his wife and mom and it's just like they're very heartbroken and concerned about him while he's just like oh, i'm just fucking chilling and then it like comes to a head in this dream where he's envisioning himself divorced with a young but he's seeing a younger woman and they're going to see his ex-wife and she drops a vase that they're going to bring and he just unloads on her <laughs> saying that she's like a worthless bitch and that he hates her and just like fucking out of nowhere and it's like one of the most like i mean it is funny like yeah. in a way it becomes like, funny but i think it starts off pretty fucking but, harsh <laughs> but it's yeah. like it's no, yeah right. it's it's disgusting and it's like because it's a dream you know, I mean, he's sort of, he's like punished for it a little bit in the way where it's like his wife is like, oh, were you cheating on me? Whatever. Um, but like, you know, that like bitter resentment is like lurking in his mind throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. And that just like that there's just a brief flash where it's there on screen. Well, yeah, I feel like, I mean, of course, like I feel like what you said, Eddie, it gets funny, like towards 
than just how harsh she's being to her. You're like, Jesus Christ. All right. And then like the fact that it's a dream is an even better punchline. Cause you're, cause like we know that what I was saying before, at least kind of like the act kind of turns like a, almost into like a pornography type dream. Whereas this one is just like, that's what you're fucking dreaming about, <laughs> man. Like that's fucking, that's pretty fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love that dream sequence where it's just like, he, he brought the Paris life home with him. He, he's just like, he's dating a college girl, college age girl or so. And uh, it shows her at a spa too. Like after he chews her out the first time, basically like a little bit. And you just have this pig, this like boar just butting its head, ramming against the window of the spa. And I don't know. I, it's like Hong's always been very vague about his like surrealist influences and uh, I think he said he has a quote that's like along the lines of like, I like Boonwell films because they feel like dreams. And like, that's all. <laughs> that's all he really had to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, OK, cool. yeah. give me a little more than that. Uh, and it's like it, it, you're trying to decode meaning from it, you know, almost as a fool's errand. But like uh, the fact that he is able to even just get back to normal and be with his wife again who isn't even pregnant and that's the funniest part is like his wife gets him to come back to korea by pretending to be pregnant and the way he reacts to her not being pregnant is so funny because he gets mad for half a second at her for lying and then he's just completely relieved that she's not pregnant so he just <laughs> pretends uh, uh, to be over it <laughs> well also too it's like uh, there's like a, a certain point in the movie where it's like you know, this girl's pregnant, his wife, this girl he's been with is pregnant, his wife is pregnant. It seems like, all right, fun time's over. You're going to have to face up to some yeah. real responsibility. Just comes home and that's just, you know, not the case at all. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's like, even though he's able to resume the status quo, he's still just going to have these insane psychotic nightmares about him emotionally abusing 20-year-old girls <laughs> <laughs> and like divorcing his wife. Like, <laughs> what, what is wrong with this man? It's the worst. And it's it's Hong, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's Hong. He had, to, he had to obscure it from being a filmmaker even to get away from the truth a little. He's like, all right, let's make this guy a painter. Let's, yeah. let's keep it away this, from me a little Is bit. this his, you know, his his DH, his deconstructing Harry? <laughs> yeah, Hong has some painter friend we don't know about. <laughs> um, I, I really think this is one of the most incredible Hong Sang-soo films. I think that his exploration of what he can do with digital kind of in real time is on display uh, there are some long takes in this that, you know, I don't have my stopwatch out, but compared to his previous films shot on film, I'd have to guess that some of his longest takes to date, you know, up to that point are in this film. Uh, the way I described the blown out skies, you know, constantly uh, left me in awe because of the vivid uh, colors that he's able to get of like the trees that he's shooting underneath that sky. And there's just so much to the way he pans and zooms across these Parisian streets and makes it feel all part of this, you know, dream almost. Uh, and in terms of his, you know, self-reflexive, you know, protagonist deconstruction that all of his male-led films have, this is one of the more bitter ones, but it's also very humorous and very exploratory i guess yeah. like it doesn't feel like it comes to a conclusion about anything it feels like it's just like we learned a lot didn't we you know <laughs> like we we really did learn a lot and i think the doubling i described earlier uh is really fascinating 
And I think when I described modernism earlier, more than anything, it almost reminds me of an Antonioni movie in the way that just like the characters interacting with the landscapes and interacting with art itself uh, and also interacting with a long runtime, you know, a two and a half hour runtime where you really just sink into these landscapes. It, it really just hit me on a way that it didn't the first time I watched it. So I'm going five bullets. No, yeah, talking through this has definitely, uh, you know, raised my enjoyment out of this film. Um, I'm going to give it four and a half bullets. Yeah, this is, yeah, I think with Hong's body of work, you know, with this kind of being on the longer side, you know, his longest and also in kind of like recent one, a lot of his longer ones are his earlier ones, Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, he's already an established artist. So he's already, you know, you know, kind of poking at concepts he has within himself and, you know. Uh, putting it through this, you know, painter character. And yeah, I mean, like the long runtime, you know, like it is exploratory. We get, you know, some big gags. I mean, I think the the scene of him looking at the vagina painting is also a pretty big level gag. Oh, that, yeah. That it's just, hey, I don't care who, you, what type of person you are. If you can't laugh at that, come on. Uh, <laughs> great movie. JT, what do you think? Um, Yeah, I'm also going to give this uh, four and a half bullets. First, just like, I mean, with each like Hong movie, I approach even the shorter ones. It's just like at the beginning, I'm like excited, like planning, like what's what's this boy going to do in this one? What's he working out in this? And this one, there's just so much to chew on. And just I love how like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like he's definitely um, leaning more bitter than like comic or more comic. But, like, this is just such a lovely mix of both and just, I don't know. I love, like, it's not, like, all that complicated structurally, but I love the little beautiful digressions that we get. And it's, I don't know, I don't know, a great film. I actually said something about the the Hong stand-in character being a painter. I actually don't think... We get like the very direct Hong stand-ins for a little longer, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I know, because I actually thought, for some reason, I got the chronology mixed up. I thought Like You Know It All was an early one. It's actually the film after this one. Have, have either of you guys seen Like You Know It All? Nope. There's a scene in Like You Know It All where the director, it, it's a QA scene, uh, a director's QA scene. And I think that might be Hong's most like bare fuck you, this is what I have to deal with, see? <laughs> uh, it is filmography. It's very funny, very uncomfortable. We'll be right back on Extended Club. like a, a female soul like don't these men just want to have sex focus on the hustle focus on the bag females soul female soul i've seen i saw if, it's hard to tell because like male soul that's real that's legit yeah it's hard to tell what yeah if there are those, jokers out there they're yeah. trying to make fun of the male soul and, lifestyle. And, and a lot of people have caught on to this and i you know what? i'm gonna 
take credit as the first person to discover that no. no but uh definitely <laughs> not true but um but it is like i've been fooled by a couple fake accounts because like they know you have to be really subtle with it hmm. or else people will and then i there's one where they just push i saw one where i have to give them credit it was like a male soul account and they they pushed it a little too far by having like louis ck as the person oh, okay. in the background yeah. which is like three years ago or four years ago that's believable but now you know yeah not a success. I mean, there's some like you have I'm to sh- think like a brilliant. I'm sure the male souls uh, guys of the world probably still have. They're still chill with Louis. Yeah, but it's like at the same. It's not like conducive with success. No, you know exactly. I mean? No, you know that's I mean? not. He didn't. Have, he was not successful. Like here's the thing. He put his personal issues <laughs> over success. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing. Like people, you know, comedians are always talking about free speech or I don't know, the due process in case of this one or whatever. But it's like. You know, it's like, who gives a fuck? We're trying to be successful on the stock market. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's what that all that shit's about. That's right. But al- but also, are you recording? Yeah. You know? Okay. Well, I have a segue into the mi- middle segment. This okay. is the Malcolm in the Middle segment. And we're back. And uh, and we're back. And I, 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 you know, I got to thinking about the movie I watched this week called The Gold Rush. Oh, okay. 1925. And like, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm going out of order here, but... uh at the end of the mo- the end of the movie, Chaplin and his boy they grinded hard together, and now they're successful. They got the money. Finally, Chaplin gets the girl he wanted. After you know, after putting in that hard work, people recognize that hard work. Or in this case, she was just happened to be on the ship. It's just more of a coincidence in this movie. Yeah. But and a lot of the hard work is just like being embarrassed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he I mean, works, but like most yeah. of the work he does is just like getting embarrassed. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's uh I mean, what's a living? What is it to be, a, you know, a, a comedic actor, right? But yeah. uh uh but I was just thinking it's like Chaplin is such a great universal figure. Like he could even sh- he could show up on a male motivation page. Like he's that he's that universal. Like he's he got could. it like that. Like no other like the only other person maybe maybe Hitchcock, but that's like that's because Eminem just had an album inspired by Hitchcock or whatever. So true. We should review that album. <laughs> oh, yes. what are we, we should doing? double feature music to get murdered by Holy and like shit. Rear Window. <laughs> that's perfect. That we should we should actually do that. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, 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 Why didn't we have this genius idea when it was released? That's people <laughs> would have been way more likely to listen to it then. Um, <laughs> but Gold Rush is a great movie. I mean, I'll. I'll uh, all jokes aside, I mean, like, a, I mean, it's just I, you have like this great first kind of thing where it's just like Chaplin against the elements and he's just like kind of surviving in the cold or whatever. I mean, that's what's kind of fun about this movie, The Gold Rush. Not a lot of like gold prospecting or mining. Yeah. It's really just kind of like a set it like you like, I don't know, modern times like that set up to where it's like, oh, Chaplin's, you know, working in a factory or some shit. And you kind of get that where it's like. Charlie Chaplin does not look for one fucking speck of gold in this movie, but um, that's fine. That's fine. He finds success other ways, as I, as I mentioned, and like yeah, you just have this great uh, Chaplin bearing the elements. Um, you know these gags he's having with this big burly man he's co-inhabited with. You know, bearing the gun in the snow and then trying to get it back up again. So you know, in case the guy gets him, and then. You know, kind of transfers into like this. Uh, he starts going to the local dance hall. You know, this girl dances with him just uh, kind of like uh, just to make another guy mad. And of course, you know, he attaches onto that heavy. 
And, you know, she promises, he's like, oh, I'll see you like on New Year's kind of, you know, playing with his emotions because it's kind of funny. And then, um, I don't know, it just it develops from there. There's a great like New Year's parties. I just I think that first scene where Chaplin goes into the club and like even before, you know, he dances with this girl, you kind of just see him Chaplin, the individual, just looking at all these people dancing and get this great shot of him just looking at everyone dancing and it's just kind of like of Chaplin of course the comedic master but it's like kind of like these small graceful uh very dramatic moments that are just so impactful that he's you know he's so great at and there's plenty of those in kind of like the the back half of the movie so I kind of like how front-loaded this movie is with comedy and then it kind of gets into its romantic subplot and it's another you know fucking great one and in terms of in terms of the filmmaking there's just like so many small moments that seem like it's just a step up from you know the two reelers he was making that were already like masterpieces you know and you know gold rush obviously it's like a five-star movie for me one of the best um yeah like in the beginning there's this one iris in on uh charlie like on a hill kind of and there's a bunch of people in the frame they're all pretty small and just the iris in on him i don't know a lot of silent movies kind of use that almost like a zoom would be used now uh but the fact that he's still so small in the frame even with that iris surrounding the rest of the frame uh just speaks so much to his like isolation and stuff in that moment and obviously the desperation that follows the famous you know shoe eating scene <laughs> uh, it's it's really just like such a miracle of a film and only someone like Chaplin could also have like three or four better movies somehow. <laughs> no, true. That is true. Cause like I did love, it's probably be like, you know, four and a half, five. What's the fucking difference. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, on rewatch, this is, it's definitely going to go up in my, like, I think every, every time I rewatch a Chaplin, it kind of goes up for me and never mm-hmm. really haven't really had a negative experience rewatching his stuff. JT, what'd you watch this week? Yes. Um, I didn't watch too much this week just after coming back from berlin it's like you need a break Mm -hmm. from the movies we're pounding through like flicks left and right it's like take it easy brother but (laughs) i I did one film that's quite long an epic if you will that i had been meaning to get around to for a while and that was cloud atlas Mm -hmm. um i was a little bit spurred on by having finished uh all of us watching intolerance and i was like okay i'm ready for this something that uh spans across uh hundreds of thousands of years and tells a variety of different stories um and also has some interesting ideas about race um and it's like it's i don't know the way i can kind of like find this forgivable and at points just like kind of weird but an interesting part of the movie is it's like it's like an equal opportunity offender it's like one of those like guys it's like i'm not racist i hate everybody um where it's like you got um black people playing white people you got white people playing asian people Asian people playing white people. Um, there's like, it, it goes all over the place. And I think what um, the Wachowskis are really getting at there is like this broader sort of more flowery, like they, they're filmmakers that love love. Mm. And uh, in a way, I mean, finishing their filmography, I think a lot of their work deals with like communal love as something as like, 
anti-consumerist and anti-capitalist in a way which is like definitely like a little hokey and like, like being in like an epic anti-capitalist polycule <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty much yeah it's like that but i mean it's it's very charming and like uh i it doesn't do i, I mean going into this like from intolerance you have a bar set pretty high of like cross-cutting and yeah. like interesting like stuff done with editing and i wouldn't say um it goes as crazy with that but i think a lot of the juxtaposition that happens between story timelines is very fun and it's neat to see how the actors um like i i don't know are able to manifest like a lot of different roles i mean it is funny sometimes where it's like the I think the most in the future timeline is like after civilization has like entirely collapsed and you have like uh, Tom Hanks as a native guy saying like things like true, true in like a broken <laughs> English that it's like, that's like, I don't know. That's just funny. I'm there for that. I'm along for the ride. That's cool. Um, and so seeing all these different performances, like very, it's really interesting in that respect. And I get why like, even a lot of uh, the fans of the Wachowskis are like, I don't know, this one is very divisive, but I think it continues that broad like message of communal love and like acceptance and hope. It's, I, I don't know, it's just such a, a lovely piece of filmmaking that to be able to do six different stories like that in an effective way that's a feat in itself even if some of the parts are a little goofy you get like a uh, political thriller in here you get a fun like comedy about some seniors trying to break out of a senior citizen facility um you get a like a high-tech revolution there's a lot for everyone to love <laughs> i like how you set the table where you're like well I, intolerance was on the mind so I had to go Cloud Atlas. And like I, de I definitely get you. Your thread like makes sense, but it's just like we just have such unique minds that just <laughs> the way the way we think is just it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. We do think beautifully on this podcast. A beautiful mind. Exactly. Exactly. We have that guy's mind. Whatever he was up to. Speaking of a beautiful mind, I watched a film from the Happy Madison uh film company. Uh this week <laughs> i watched uh i rewatched that is a uh, grandma's boy the alan covert starring vehicle about a boy who has to become a grandma's boy much like your 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 yours truly <laughs> <laughs> i know i saw i saw kindler the other you know of course you know he was bad mouthing sandler on twitter whatever yeah. whatever but like he said uh uh, Waterboy was far and ahead Covert's best performance, and I think Grandma's Boy much better performance much better. than Grandma's yeah. Boy. Yeah, I mean it's it's this is the Covert text. This yeah. is this is you hand this to someone. It's like we need Covert in the movie now. Any uh, Andy Kindler fans out there? Maybe he uh, didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get the memo about Grandma's Boy. Uh, <laughs> Grandma's Boy. Alan that's for like four people. Uh, <laughs> I don't even get it. It's just funny to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, Grandma's Boy 
boy. Uh, Malcolm posed the question a long time ago. What do Adam Sandler's friends do when he's not around uh, as a review of this film? And I think that's quite an apt answer. If you were to break down the house style of a Happy Madison movie and remove Adam Sandler from the equation, this pretty much just works. He, Alan Covert, is a video game tester, and I love how much effort is put into making his job seem like the coolest job ever. Uh, and the video game he's developing was actually a video game that was in development and was scrapped during the production of Grandma's Boy. So it exists only in the Grandma's Boy universe. Damn. That's crazy. It was supposed to be a tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, movie, this movie could be even bigger. Yeah. We could be looking at Grandma Boy... Grandma's boy too, <laughs> but uh, all all your favorites are back. Peter Dante, uh, he plays the weed dealer, uh, who is just so good. Uh, one of his best roles, probably this and Grown Ups too, I think, are the two best Peter Dante performances. This is the biggest. Like Dante, out of all of like kind of the Madison regulars, I feel like usually gets the shortest, like the least mm-hmm. amount to do. Well, if you wanted more Dante, you got him. He's in oh, this yeah. movie. <laughs> so basically. Alan Covert just wants to like um, play video games and get stoned. And so he has to move into his grandma's house because his parents are pissed off at him. And uh, like, there's no actual conflict of him having to live at his grandma's house. (laughs) Like he, his grandma has like three roommates who are old ladies and he just eats leftovers and gets stoned and plays video games. And that's all. It's like not a big deal that he has to move yeah. into his grandma's house. Pretty positive outlook. You know? Yeah. It's just like the conflict of the movie comes when his, his dork boss who speaks in a robot voice half the time where he'll be talking in one uh, voice and then go, no, that was wrong. And uh, that's throughout the whole movie. His character does that. That's pretty funny. It's me. pretty funny. It's <laughs> pretty funny. And if you've, seen nick swords and you know nick swords and also plays a huge role in this and this feels very swords and like rather than the sandler vein of humor and there's even a poster in the background of the game studio for gay robot which if you know if you've seen the nick swords and sketch show he did for comedy central you may be familiar with some bits from that uh but anyway so just paying homage you know it's just putting the whole cinematic universe into perspective uh nick swardson pretty funny in this gotta say gotta say nick swardson's pretty funny in this hello delivery at the front desk for you alex cool i hope it's a naked dude with a boner what? <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people from the peanut gallery want to criticize people like Covert, like Dante, like fucking Nick Swartzen. There's a reason these people have jobs. Such a funny Watch movie. Grandma's Boy. There's a reason these people are trusted within the industry. Just such a perfunctory <laughs> skeleton of a plot and a romance <laughs> and like just gag central. Like it's it's almost feels like it's from the 90s. Uh, just in terms of like the way 90s studio comedies had the skeleton of a plot just like on top of a bunch of just like stupid fart jokes and titties. And this movie is not short on either of those. <laughs> there is 11 hours of film time where Jonah Hill's mouth is on a breast, uh, which is also like 20 minutes of screen time <laughs> like uh, you see it quite a bit it's quite a good gag too uh so if you're out there and you haven't seen grandma's yeah. boy and hey even if you have seen grandma's boy 
light one up and uh, <laughs> watch that shit. Jonah Hill also at his most obese. Too. Yeah, probably uh, the fattest uh, I've ever um, seen him. Also, I want to shout like, out. He looks great. No, yeah, it's ama- He's amazing. He he looks beautiful. It's body positivity. Yeah, but it's. What do you call it? You know, it's funny. Like, usually the conflict within, like, this type of movie is just that the main character, like, doesn't get, doesn't have sex or whatever, or, like, can't get a girl. And it's, like, it goes out of its way to be, like, nah, this guy fucking kills it with the yeah. ladies, too. Like, Covert it, sees her walk <laughs> in and right away is, like, yup. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this movie proposes that Alan Covert, despite living with either mom or grandparents, just, like, his gamer swag is enough to pull anyone it's it's truly enlightened mindset. It is it covert is. mindset. We'll be right back on extended clip. And we're back on extended clip. William Wellman is the director of Safe in Hell. This guy has got so many damn movies. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a couple of the pre-code ones he's done, and I gotta say, this might be my favorite. I, you know, here's here's something that I always have tried, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but this guy isn't William Wyler either. No, he's no, not. No, you may think that. <laughs> you may think that this guy is William Weimer, Weimer. I forgot his name already. I don't even yeah. know who that fucking guy is, but he's not. He's actually, I would, like, in, in the pre-code movies, I've seen, I think I've only seen two at this point, but, like, compared to Weiler, someone who's much more, like, visually adventurous yeah or something like not to discredit weiler too much but he it's is like, a muscular filmmaker yes. there's just like yeah, he is yeah. finding mm. shit to throw in front of the frame just to get you a little foregrounding just to get you a little camera move just like feels like it's just putting a little mustard on every yeah, shot you it's know like, it's I, so sick i thought of it like when i was watching it because it like i feel like especially at the beginning it's so very evident that like yeah he's just finding something to frame the characters whether it's like a bed frame or something like that or like in the mirror it's almost like a connect the dots type style instead mm-hmm. of going like a b a b reverse shot reverse shot it's like he's just like finding just ways around the room where to put the camera and it just you know ups that intensity all that more yeah i like i think i've only seen one other pre-code wellman and that was wild boys of the road which is fucking crazy and amazing and i like his pre-code work i think is significantly better than the later stuff i've seen because he just he goes off and gets like the the grimy like dirty like sleazy textures that mm. you want. He's down there with uh, with poor people just mucking it up, having a good time. <laughs> yeah, I've also seen like a night nurse yeah, uh, with Barbara Stanwyck. That that one is fucking sick. Uh, but I, I kind of like the I've said sick like ten times this podcast. <laughs> it's a California podcast. It's a California podcast, man. Uh, watching skate videos, you know. Uh, Baker Threes, our next film. <laughs> Uh, I also saw a college coach. I think I talked about college coach on a middle segment, maybe, but like college coach, the public enemy, nothing sacred. These are just like jam packed with action style, huge performances. And they're all like 70 minutes or shorter. (laughs) It's, it's really like, uh, you can't extol the virtues of the pre-code cinema of William Wellman enough. So let's talk about safe and hell. 
uh, Dorothy McHale plays Gilda. And boy, does she play her. This is such a fantastically, like, I don't want to say overblown, but an 11 out of 10, you know, swinging for the fences with every line of dialogue powerful. and physical gesture performance that you can get. Yeah, it's so powerful. No, yeah. And like, I mean, I think we just, we talked about Wellman's style a little bit, like visual style. I think it allows for some very strong performances like that. And I think, uh, I don't know, a lot of people when they're kind of like, because people, you know, who like to point out bad acting, they're very selective when they do it. It's usually, you know, a, a result of poor direction to the movie, not, you know, matching or contrasting an actor's presence in a certain way where it's like these Wellman movies from what I've seen and I see here in Safe in Hell is like he knows how to, you know, turn up the fucking, you know, fire with the visuals and the, the performances are right there with it. They'll match that. I mean, the way he introduces her, he, uh, much like in the Hong Sang Su film, bit of a foot fixation. You get her foot, uh, but then it just glides up her leg. And it's like, who, you know, va va voom, hoochie mama. Uh, uh, Tex Avery Wolf wasn't yeah. even invented yet, but boy, was he, he his jaw was on the floor, baby. Uh, but geez, just to introduce her character as this lady of the night in new orleans and uh her her boss a a female pimp total girl boss move uh (laughs) sends her out on an assignment and that assignment is with a guy who used to be her boss at some kind of square job that she hated and it's revealed later that that boss sexually assaulted her and the boss's wife walked in on that happening and just kicked her out i guess So now she's reunited with this guy who she had this terrible traumatic experience with. She throws a a vase or something like that at his head and he's just conked out. Like he hits his head or something like that and he's conked. Uh, The apartment starts to catch on fire or the hotel rather. She gets out of there. There's plenty of witnesses to see her. The whole hotel is on fire. There's this beautiful... Uh, just like a pan shot too. It's this really wide shot where Wellman pans watching her exit the hotel and you see her, you know, go from right to left down flights of stairs and out to the street level and then back to the right uh, watching her go away. And then he pans up and you just see, you know, up whatever second, third floor of the hotel is just completely engulfed in flames. <laughs> and it's such a masterful, like, little sequence. And it lasts 10 seconds or so, but it's just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. That, you know, that scene kind of encapsulates what's good about, like, you know, it's kind of shorter pre code movies. Like, with shorter movies, like, a lot of people are like, oh, I love shorter movies. And it's like, I love these movies, not necessarily because they're short, but since they're short they're, they have such a such a density to them where yeah. it's like they're like uh, things like that you know what you described like a 10 second shot something that just feels amazing it's just like you have that but then you're just like on to the next thing when there's like you know kind of other visual attempts to and i, f- I feel like this movie kind of um, maybe doesn't settle down with its visual adventureness but once it gets into that environment of the mm-hmm. hotel it kind of you know starts a rhythm and kind of follows that and um but so yeah even like the first like uh 10 minutes or so maybe a little bit less just like kind of before she gets to that hotel it's just so uh succinct it's very impressive so her boyfriend who is a sailor helps her get away from the cops and since he's a sailor he knows about an island in the caribbean where they don't have extradition laws 
and uh, she's going to be safe and can't get convicted for murder. And uh, so she goes to the island, settles into this hotel, and she's so wonderfully introduced at this hotel where all of the people who stay there, who are all presumably criminals on the on the lam, you know, they each get a reaction shot to oh, her entrance. It's fantastic. It's just this collage of thirsty faces, these men who just want one thing, and she is that one thing, and she just walked in the door, and it's so sleazy and great. And you got the one guy who's always eating nuts and spitting them out because there's worms on them. <laughs> Just the, the cavalcade of lecherous men that are present there. It's so funny that each is like a little, like one, like, I don't know, small personalities, but you get that there. And then also I love in the introduction when her sailor boyfriend, Carl, is like taking her up the stairs. You even get a few fellas there trying to peep upskirt and he has <laughs> to go step in front of her to the side so they don't see anything. Yeah, this is this is where they got the idea. Hotel for dogs. These these guys are just uh, <laughs> ravenous and hungry, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, fuck. What was I going to say? You were just too distracted by that, that hotel, hotel for, for dogs. Actually, right? I that was that was out out of the hip. I, I had something even better to say, but I can't even really remember. After uh, she settles in, her boyfriend sets sea again, you know, and she's left to her own devices. <laughs> <laughs> It's very hard for her to get used to this island. Uh, there's worms in all the drinking water, you know? Yeah. I mean, also, this is, you know, she's the answer to where the white woman at. Because uh, I, I like how they make a point. It's like, she's the only white woman on this island. And the Hey, lay off. I've seen her first. You? What about me? I? Be patient, gentlemen. She's the only white woman on the island. You must at least give the lady time to get settled. You know, kind of increases the sleaziness that of that even more. Just they're all, you know, desperate for this one specific thing. And yeah, so, uh, and it's yeah, it's crazy. This could be the plot of a '70s, you know, sex exploitation movie, yeah. or even a hardcore movie. Uh, but it's mm -hmm. a pre-code one, so it's just like that level of sleaze. Where yeah, you do have the one white woman on this island and this you know, a hotel full of criminals who all want to fuck her. Uh, and her boyfriend's just a sailor who's not there. <laughs> well, I got to go sail the seas now. Sorry. Yeah, everything should be fine here. <laughs> <laughs> but she holds her own because yeah. like so many pre-code women, uh, she is stronger than most of the men in the film. Like that's something you see in like stuff like Night Nurse or Babyface or... Uh, the Sin of Nora Torren. These are all pre-code films that have some lurid elements to them, but the female domination, you know, it does not shy away from that at yeah. all. Yeah, what? I mean, you sort of see, I think at, at one point, like you see all the guys sort of shooting their shot and just like fucking failing at it. And then it builds to her like just, she's just one of the boys smoking and drinking along with them. Also, I mean, like the luridness and whatnot, I mean, it's it's always from a place to like show, like, of course, it's maybe, you know, sensationalizing it a little bit. But like, you know, you, you take you take a magnifying glass to the theme and it's always it's always there just to like solidify. It's kind of trying to show the darker paths of the world and yeah. kind of like the, 
you know, the not not even like a cautionary tale of the potential wars, but uh, horrors of the world, but just addressing kind of like the stark reality that's there. True. But also in 1931, not too many places you could see as much leg as in this movie. Well, that's <laughs> hey, that's why, that's why it's great. It could do both. <laughs> you get to enjoy it on both levels. The guy who I guess is the hangman on this island uh, confiscates the letter that her boyfriend sends her. Or really, I guess their husband and wife, they they had a little True. Uh, faux marriage that whether or not it's legit, who cares? You know, yeah. uh, it's real to them. Love is love. Yeah. Uh, so her husband sends letters that this guy confiscates and he's just so obsessed with her, whether he's going to hang her or, you know, have sex with her or whatever. Uh, and y- you just see him sulking, skulking, whatever, in the back of rooms. And he's so sweaty the whole movie. And he's just... One of the most disgusting characters. <laughs> like, geez, he's so yeah. gross. Well, also, not only just stealing her letters, but stealing the money that he's sending her in that hopes too, that uh, he'll come to him. Uh, he, she'll come to him, the richest man on the island. Yeah. The next morning, she wakes up in the clear light of day. The woman who works at the hotel is like, oh, yeah, you're in with them now. And she says, those bozos don't mean a thing to me. <laughs> Which is such a good line. <laughs> She just wanted a good time. You know, she had it. Now she could uh, resume, you know, being, being solid. <laughs> Two people who work at the hotel. So you have the woman at the front desk, uh, Nina Mae McKinney. And then also Clarence Muse, who works at the hotel. Um, I have to say, for a 1931 movie, this is one of the like least stereotypical and offensive portrayals of black characters that I've seen in like, you know, uh, whether it's pre-code, whatever kind of studio movies. Like, I hate to bring the god into it, but like, you know, the John Ford movies of this era were using guys like Step and yeah. Fetch it. You know? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, it's like it. it, it make sure to really kind of uh, stay in touch with like the kind of like the working element of what they do and really kind yeah. of takes it takes time within the movie it has scenes where it's just them talking and whatnot. Not exactly something you'd see in judge priest, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I even <laughs> yeah. prefer something like steamboat around the bend to this yeah. on the whole, but yeah. it's like, you have to, you have to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are really great performances. Uh, Nina Mae McKinney in particular yeah that morning after where she's like shocked that uh, Gilda doesn't want to be one of the boys uh, because she's like you got like a pretty good situation here I was in your situation too she used to be a New Orleans working girl as it were now she has to work the front desk at this fucking sleaze house you know she's like you get to just like stay here you know yeah. like should kind of just be chill with just being homies with them but unfortunately she is not and uh, that kind of bites her in the ass when the hangman's plot rises <laughs> what is the plot oh no the hangman well the oh, hangman yeah. gives her a gun oh yes on. yes his yes, one yes, friendly yes, interaction yes. is like you gotta watch yourself 
and he gives her the gun. He plants mm-hmm. the Chekhov's hangman's gun. Classic. It's like, come on, he's a hangman. He doesn't like this gun. <laughs> he's only using it to hurt you, baby. Uh, <laughs> I could save you, girl. Don't, yeah. Don't talk. Yeah. Don't talk to the hangman. He might. He might get you <laughs> entangled in something. He has a lot of power. But it really is almost like a dating show. The middle chunk of this, there's like a 20 minute chunk of each one of the guys that lives at this hotel trying to take a pass at her, and it's almost like a procedural element. Wellman takes the same angle of them walking up the stairs together and the guys looking from the chairs and it's so funny just like that desolate main room of the hotel where it's just chairs that they rearrange you know mm-hmm. blank space otherwise and also i mean to you know get plot details in there too i love how when the man you know who's obsessed with her her former boss ends up at the hotel because he's he's in the dirt now too and uh, he sees, he knows exactly what's going on here when he enters. He sees the group of men all sitting in the lobby with their chair, chairs pointed <laughs> towards her room, which is great. Uh, this kind of grand, this stage of masculinity, if you will. And um, he walks in, he's like, you know what? I know I know her voice. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to be in there for a while. So, you know, don't wait up. And then. You know, he goes up there and she's like, like, I hate you the most. Like, get, get the fuck out of here. It's, and like, just we'll do anything just to stay in for like three minutes. Yeah. And then it's just like, he has to leave. Very funny stuff. And I think it mainly being set in like the hotel rooms and the main room of this hotel, it forces Wellman to get creative with both the staging and the camera movement. There's a lot of dolly movements that are like, I don't know, maybe four or five feet just to, like to make a big impact kind of. And he's always just finding creative ways to stage this. And I don't know. Yeah. The mise-en-scene is just very like, it's very realistic. It never feels like it's overly flourishy, but when you try to analyze it, you realize that there's so much going on in terms of camera movement and staging that he just makes look naturally effortless. The visual style, like, you're right. It's not exactly like uh, pristine or like kind of like grand swooping movements, but it's, you know, something I tapped in earlier and it's seen throughout. I mean, you know, this is a character in peril, somewhat in danger. There's almost like a precariousness to like these camera moves. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they're not exactly always the most precise, but they have like just that that raw impact that uh, I don't know. It's felt throughout uh, Wellman's precodes. And I mean, the fact that like. Th- the setting is just like you get a little bit of New Orleans and then you're stuck here at this hotel. It's like you're really it's trapped and cramped and just adds to that like tension because there's there's nowhere else on that fucking island that you could go. Yeah. I mean, you don't even know if there is yeah. or not. You yeah. don't know anything other than like the first shot before they get there and the last shot of the movie. Um, and also there are some shots of the ocean, which are always in a shot reverse shot of Gilda looking out at the ocean. The third time is during her trial at the end. So as we said, uh, Pete, the guy who she thought she killed in the beginning of the movie turned out to be alive. Uh, he shows up at the Island. As we said, he tries to put the charm on. It doesn't work. And she she kills him in self-defense. He he tries to, you know, assault her again. And she shoots him with the gun that the hangman gave her. But the hangman, he, you know, you imagine he's pointing to his temple when that's mm-hmm. happening. He's yeah. like, all right, I know what's going on. I, I mean, not to interrupt, but it's like such a dark premise where it's like the hangman knows that she's very likely to get assaulted. 
Or he could probably just say she has a gun. But I think about it in this way. It's like she's very likely to get assaulted in this hotel of, you know, scoundrels or whatever, that she'll have to use the gun. And then he could use his influence to maybe coerce her into having, you know, sex with him just to get her off a case. It's very uh, upsetting stuff. But that's that raw pre-code shit. You know, that's some of the lawmakers were doing some bad shit like that. Yeah. So she has her trial and it's it's really insane kind of twisted third act where it's like she's probably going to get off for doing it for self-defense uh but then we get that that setup again that shot reverse of her looking at the ocean but this time it's a pan across the ocean and everything you know her perception is clearly all out of whack and the hangman enters and he basically lays out his plot he's like well they're gonna let you off but uh not uh not too long before you're gonna get caught for that gun you know they, they're gonna let you off for the murder but you're gonna get hung for the gun and i'm gonna do a little more than hang you if you know what i mean <laughs> and Ugh. uh it's pretty it's pretty rough to watch and so she makes an in- incredibly like heroic decision basically for this type of for the for what this movie is this is like the heroic climax where she just turns herself in lying. She's like, oh, it wasn't self-defense. I actually murdered that guy. Uh, so you guys should just kill me like right now before this guy can do anything to me, yeah. uh, which is just incredible. I mean, it's so sad. But yeah, it was it was her only, uh, only card up her sleeve at that exactly. moment. It was her no. only way to win. I mean, it's just depressing because it's like she knows she's like fucked and will die either way, but yeah. she's like taking that like autonomy over her own body there and her husband uh comes through and it's like oh is he gonna save her it's like no she's just gonna say goodbye to him basically (laughs) it's jesus and she then has this insane like longing exchange and shot reverse shot with the hangman uh right before she goes out there and then wellman iris is in on her neck and then reverses to the hangman, just sweaty, drooling, fixating on that neck. And it's just like, ugh, ugh, give me the heebie-jeebies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you finally see what the island looks like. You get a couple shots, uh, you get, or you get a shot with a couple palm trees, and they're walking away, and that's the end. Them walking to a tree that she's going to hang on. And it's so fucking depressing but it's it's a it's a banger of an ending no yeah i have noticed a lot of these pre-code endings because like we'll have like things you know like in a movie now would definitely be portrayed as positive right like a woman making a you know a choice for herself or or whatever but like they they kind of can't come to that conclusion morally Uh, uh, uh. so we'll just have like this bleak as fuck ending and like um, I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of like some of the frameworks of some of my other favorite pre-code movies where, you know, like a death is kind of, I guess with this one, a death isn't inevitable, but it's like a lot of them are just going to end with the main character dying. Yeah. Like something like uh, two seconds with Edward G. Robinson, where it's like uh, the beginning of that movie is like him on the electric chair and they just pull the, like the lever and like his life flashes before his head in two seconds. And the whole movie is just those supposed two seconds and then we have those two seconds and then the movie goes back to him just dying and it ends like i mean it, Jesus. It's, you see all these like depressing and horrible fucked up pre-code movies it's yeah. like 
I just I want to impose a code, damn it. And it's like <laughs> this is too disturbing. This is too much for me. This yeah. is too real. We should watch what people do in those movies. <laughs> we should m- control monitor that. So it's just yeah, it is like I don't know on. what this morally is going to do the country. <laughs> <laughs> the kids might the kids might go wild. They might take the wrong lesson from this movie. It's very true. Um I I think this is like the more I talk about it, the more I like it. I think that the camera work matches the intensity of the material. I gave it four on Letterboxd. I'm going to go four and a half bullets on this one. Wow. I think this is really an incredible film. What about you? I'm going to go four bullets. And like you said, like high intensity visual style. But also, yeah, you get some ramped up acting performances that I enjoy. And like, yeah, there's just a... Uh, small moments like you're you're discussing how like when she'll look out to the beach and it's like it seems kind of obvious that this wasn't shot on a beach so every time you see her like a reverse of her looking out on the beach it almost feels like i don't know like fantasy like and it's just uh even though it's something that's maybe kind of uh imposed through like budgetary restriction it's still kind of like i don't know finds a way into the narrative in a way that that works for me and uh yeah, I, I mean, pre every time I watch a pre-code movie, I'm like, oh, why am I not watching like one of these a week? Like these yeah. are like short as fuck. They're just uh, they're always in, they're like, like very pulpy and entertaining. Usually, like in this, you know, def- uh, definitely falls under that category and is one of the better ones I've seen. I feel, but uh, JT, I'm also gonna give this uh, four bullets. I mean, I agree with you. With every time I watch a pre-code movie, it's just like fuck they were like they were kind of doing exploitation movies like decades beforehand oh, yeah mm-hmm. and like how sleazy and depraved they're able to get and i just love how much of this film luxuriates in those vibes and that presence there it's just like i don't know to eddie i i also had the heebie-jeebies watching <laughs> throughout the whole movie because it's just like even like our protagonists like i think she's the most likable character but like is introduced with like i I don't know killing a man and just like not generally pleasant like kind of rough talking like i don't know you're you're hanging out with a bunch of unsavory characters she killed a man but she did that (laughs) (laughs) i get what you're saying though that was some girl (laughs) yeah it's like there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing pleasant, you know. It's like she's doing the right thing, but it's like it's not a pleasant lifestyle. Yeah, she's, she's doing leaving. the right thing, but she's also slick talking, gruff. Yeah, like. I don't trust her either. <laughs> what do you mean? They ain't my kind. Because they're criminals? Say, big boy, I'll tell you something you don't know. I'm a criminal too. I'm Gilda Carlson. That's a phony name I've been using. I killed a man in New Orleans, and I'm just as tough and as hard as any of them. And the sooner you find it out, the better. Now scram, Commodore. <laughs> uh, you can always email us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. Our first email this week. Yes, our first email this week. God damn. Uh, comes to us from Joe Greenwood. It says, Film Ambitions. Hello, boys. Longtime listener, first time mailer. Love the pod, of course, and I wanted to briefly piggyback on a previous topic of what got you into podcasts. Some of them may have been embarrassing, but none of them were as bad as what got me into them. That's right, Smodcast. Looking back, I'm not sure why I liked it, as I've never been a Kevin Smith fan. I'm guessing oh. I liked the Sandor <laughs> <whatever. Smodcast. laughs> and his relaxed tone. Yeah, no, Smodcast is Kevin Smith's podcast. This listener liked that without liking Kevin Smith. As their first podcast. Wow. Come on, man. <laughs> I guess he just likes likes his voice or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's like Hong Sang Su level self-flagellation, admitting that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he goes on to say, 
This is why I'm bothering you, though. I'm emailing in as I'd like to ask about what is it that you want to do in films, if anything at all. Having made a short film myself a few years ago, I found the whole exercise of getting it out there made me feel like a cunt. Whoa. (laughs) Festival programmers told me they liked it. However, they wanted it to be, one, shorter, which wasn't possible, and two, not in 4.3, which, again, wasn't possible. After this, I was put off from doing anything, and add COVID, lockdown, and the fact that film has become a plaything for the children of millionaires slash billionaires, I lost my once turgid erection for filmmaking. I wanted to know what you want to do within the film industry, if anything at all, and how you keep motivated apart from absorbing male soul Instagram posts. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for reading my screed. Love the pod. Website review is now my favorite segment. Oh, we didn't even do it this week. We didn't do it. (laughs) It was a conscious decision not to do it. (laughs) Damn, we're fucking smart with this shit. All the best, Joe Greenwood. Wow. That was a nice email. It's a lot to think about. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a young man. I guess I should I should disclose. I'm like 22, so like, I, I guess I still have like you know ambition. I'd want to like direct and write movies if possible. I mean, I think it is possible on what level that is. Of course, in micro budget or you know maybe something bigger that might be different. But uh, hopefully, I could find a career within the industry. Watch out for Money Malcolm. Money Malcolm. Yeah. Also, yeah. I also. Um, no sports betting this week because I'm low on money. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want more money, Malcolm segments, send in the money to do so. Uh, uh, but at this point in time, uh, and you know, maybe I'll look back on this with bitter regret. But uh, you know, I'd, I'd like a, I, I have an optimistic future. <laughs> For my film career. <laughs> Damn, dude. That sounded so confident. And this podcast will only help it. JT. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like I want to make micro budget movies. I mean, it's l- graduating from college with a film degree and like trying to do industry stuff. It's like, I don't know, difficult. Like, I just want a desk job and to be able to make my own movies that no one has like really like any like input above me for like i just want to that sounds ideal i want to just fuck off and make movies and i think like the podcast has really brought me to a bunch of filmmakers like uh farley packard uh fuck what uh last house on dead end street i mean he did roger watkins, watkins did like meth and like that's not i don't yeah. want to i want to exactly <laughs> let's, mean, let's do the shit for real i man. know you're hanging out in chatsworth a lot it's, <laughs> right, you, can, you can get it but it's like i don't know I, I he talked about like the frustration of festival stuff and we did the berlin festival it's like those who gives a shit about those people and mm-hmm. like that type even if of, they're good even if they're good yeah, yeah it's like shit. it's like that's not I don't know. You, I just want to make work and put it out there and see what happens, really. Like, that's all I can really ask for. It's like, I want to make movies for whatever brain-diseased reason, and I'm going to continue to do it whether or not people pay me to. Eddie, what do you want to do? I want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> Get down. I don't fucking know. I, yeah, I have right. a couple ideas for things that I want to make, but it, the the whole the whole fucking process is like, bleh. like I I want to make like videos with my friends. I don't want to have to fucking hire people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 
I don't know what I want to do. I thought maybe I'd want to teach and like uh, be be a scholar, but that didn't work out, and I dropped out of grad school. I was doing cinema studies grad school until like yesterday. So hot off the press. <laughs> yeah, what a time to ask this question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't fucking know. I I, ha- I have a degree in screenwriting, which is useless. I I think at this point, I don't want to like try to make a job for myself in film. Like JT said, he wants a desk job and to make his movies. I want a job that can get me by and I want cinema to be my passion on the side, whether it's writing about making just writing scripts, whatever. Um, you know, I don't think it needs to be my whole life. There are other, I like golf now. I'm, 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 a, yeah. I'm a big fan of swinging the clubs around. Um, always been a big fan of music. You know, there are other things in life. Yeah, exa- hey, that's. I think that's also anything. To, you know, the people listening. There's other things besides movies out there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've, <laughs> I've made a couple of short films in my day, and mm-hmm. I don't think they're any good, frankly. And um, I have a couple. Yeah. I have a couple ideas for more that I'd like to make in the near future, but whether or not I will is like you know. It, to me, it's not that big of a deal whether I do or not. So maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll catch the bug again. Hell yeah! I'll go bug chasing and <laughs> see if I can become a filmmaker with a deadly disease. Auteur pausing. <laughs> um, what do you, whatever that means. Uh, no, yeah. I, at, at least at this point in time, I do like like directing and writing. Like I get joy out of doing it. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep following that joy. Oh, it's yeah. one of the most joyful things ever to me. When I have like footage to throw together yeah. in Premiere or iMovie now because my computer is a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, like that that fills me with joy. Like yeah. I, I love that. That's why I make fucking stupid videos on Twitter of screenshots and shit like that just because it's fun to throw together I- images. Yeah. But it's like eh, I haven't really had an idea well, actually, I have had a couple of ideas for films, but not ones that I would want to go through with in the last, like, fucking five years, honestly. Hey, if anyone, I mean, it's possible. Any Hollywood producers listening, we're willing to fucking direct, write all that shit, a movie for you. So I, hit yeah, us up. Yeah. Hit us up. Yeah. We're, we're young men with gumption, all right? Oh, gumption. On that gumption. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you Nothing. All right. I um, want to expand on that. Yeah. Patreon.com slash extended clip. $2 a month for bonus episodes. The after hours feed where we get nasty. <laughs> we're showing things on that on that feed. You know, oh, we're yeah. Showing, mm-hmm. you, you look at that fucking audio file. That's a fucking pussy. <laughs> look that's at right. that. Yeah, that is, uh, that's right. just jacking off to the waveforms. <laughs> and it's moving too? Because it's an audio? Oh, well, that's like not how waveforms like work actually. That is not. <laughs> um, so right now, if you go on there, you will find most recently an episode on Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch. And in a few days, you will find an episode on Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows. Can't wait. Can't wait Can't to wait. chop it up about We're that We're all one. getting circed off together. We are all <laughs> getting circed off together. JT, do you have a double feature for next week? Um, Yeah, I want to like explain my thought process okay. on this uh, double feature. Go off. It's... Uh, I've I've been a little depressed recently, oh. 
And oh, I've been uh, I've been listening. Does a baby need a baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, so much for know. my mental health check. <laughs> I couldn't even think of what to offer a baby there. <laughs> I was going to say, does the baby need a diaper for does, crying? <laughs> does a baby need therapy? <laughs> no, but I've been I've been listening to the Smiths mm. for the first time in my Hell life. Yeah, bro. And there's oh no, <laughs> I, I'm so scared right now. <laughs> there's there's one lyric that has <laughs> connected to me, um, very much. And this this is legitimately how I got to thinking about this double oh, yeah. feature. But it's if a double decker bus crashes into us, to die by your side w- is such a heavenly way to die. And I think it would be great to die alongside. <laughs> <laughs> you fellas. Okay. Um, All right. Particularly in a bus crash, and it's like there are no double decker buses here. We're in we're in the states. Um, presents a dilemma. Though. Yeah, that presents a dilemma. So I thought about <laughs> dying in a bus crash, <laughs> and I came up with two movies that also star Dennis Hopper, one directed oh, by shit. Dennis Hopper, Damn. about buses, and oh, it's fuck. out of the blue. And speed. Yes. <laughs> wow! Our double feature. God damn! That was, was a that was such a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> that was a train ride to get there, or a double decker bus ride. First or of all, <laughs> I am I haven't seen either of those movies, but I've been meaning to watch both of them. It sounds like one of the best double features possible. Uh, secondly, when you introduced it with the Smiths, I legitimately <laughs> no, I, thought you were going to pick 500 Days of Summer as a B movie. Oh, no, 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 no. I was going to get so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew the Smiths lead-in would <laughs> totally misdirect. I, I've been like listening to the Smiths again recently. and Love I used the to, Smiths. But I used to be like, I have the mentality like, I'm too cool for the Smiths, man. Mm. And now, now I'm enjoying them again. It's been nice. Yeah, they're great. Um, I can't wait. That, uh, I can't. I can't wait for that episode. <laughs> no, that's a great. That's a great double feature. The, yeah. That's you kind of this, like you said, good misdirection because this is just. You could say it, and the people would know. It's like, oh yeah, that's a fucking no brainer money. But you, you showed us the mental paths. So oh, I by the that. way, we're kind of uh, one foot in one segment, one foot in the next. Our next email comes from <laughs> Josh Heaps, and the subject line is "Meet Joe Black, 1998," and uh, that's all. Uh, that, the um, subject, the the body is just like a question mark. So, have you seen Meet Joe Black? No, but I doesn't uh, old old Brad Pitt go uh, go Chet Hanks? Yeah. Everything's going to be iry. He's a he's a real Bodmon. He's a real Bodmon <laughs> in that movie. There's also like a scene where someone he gets hit by a car. Yeah, it's, and it's like it's like a it's supposed to be 3 hours, right? That's, yeah, the movie's 3 hours. That's that's what it's about. It's 3 hours. Yeah. Oh, that's the by pod <laughs> favorite director about. Martin Brest who oh. did Scent of a Woman. Ooh. My favorite. Martin Brest, director of So yeah, he was just cranking out just fucking 3-hour <laughs> nonsense fucking movies. So maybe I'll, I will check that out. Maybe that's maybe someone to look do, at. Maybe that should be like the 100th episode is like go back to our roots kind of do a Martin Brest movie. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Just watch 3 Martin Brest movies for the totality of nine and a half hours. I I don't think I could do that. But, um, you know, speaking of an auteur with long movies, I just want to tease that uh, after JT's double feature next week, but before the following proper episode, we will be giving you a little uh, little bonus episode. Friend of the pod, Josh Lewis is going to be coming on to talk about certain new release. By a certain auteur who finally got his cut made. 
That's right. We will be discussing <laughs> Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League. It comes out on the 18th. I think we're recording on the 20th, so it'll come out like the Monday after Justice League comes out. Okay. Yeah, cool. Perfect. It's not on St. Patrick's Day? Perfect. Perfect. I could spend my day doing something else on St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I did not tell Malcolm what day we were recording it. Sorry. Uh, Well, now I did. So, anyway. I think that works. It sounds good to me. It's Sunday. We're recording on Sunday. Sunday. It drops Friday. We record Sunday. Sunday I rest, so I should be good. At Extended Clip 69 is where you can find us on Twitter. Anything else you guys want to shout out to the fans? Plug? Um, the Smiths? What's the your favorite Smiths um, album? Oh, fuck. Hatful of Hollow? The, the first one, the self-titled. Really? Yeah. But like the songs from that that are on Hatful of Hollow, they sound better on Hatful of Hollow. What's, wait, what's Hatful of Hollow? Is the that second, the blue one? Is that, oh, it's the like, blue one? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, I guess I guess the nerd in me was like, oh, that that was already on the Smiths, so I need to check out the oh, other stuff. Oh no, Half Full of Hollow. It also has you know original songs and singles. Yeah. You know, like some of their biggest hits are on that one. Uh, music corner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as I said, you know, I have many passions, and one of them is music. Th- that's the one with like the this charming man yeah. John Peel session yeah. or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, I ha- I have listened to a good amount of that album. Yeah, I yeah. like that one a lot too. I mean, I, I think yeah, that's the one, baby. I'll have to give it. I'll have to give it a re- relux. J- uh, JT, what about you? Um, I was gonna say, strange ways. Here we come. Good that's choice. Good choice. I like the Queen one, right? Or what's the? Is there one? The Queen is dead. Yeah, yeah the I Queen like... is dead. Is I mean, I feel like that's the like yeah the canon classic, but that's it's a for a reason. Yeah, that's my solid number two. I would go out tonight, but I haven't got a stitch to wear. What a great line. <laughs> Man, I can relate. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he is a funny guy. Morris I always, is a funny guy. I laugh at the the <laughs> Keats and Yates are on your side lyrics so much. That's the yeah. biggest pussy thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone should have given Morrissey a wedgie for that. I know. It's it's so fun. And it's like people always say, like people who dislike this is like, oh, you know, Morrissey's like, all right, this is it's way too long. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the I like the, the Morrissey commentary. <laughs> uh, God, God save the queen, that's all I gotta say. Okay. Yeah. Um all I'll say is listen to the uh, listen to the death cap for cutie cover of this charming man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Surprisingly good. That's all. Listen to nineteen oh one by Phoenix. <laughs> Come on, no, man. I'm joking. Come on. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I'm trying to sincerely present my interests. <laughs> Goodbye. Hey guys, how's it going? Sped here, and today I'm going to teach you how to play This Charming Man on guitar by The Smiths.